Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Joe Lynch. And today's topic is the DHL supply chain with Scott Zeredin. How's it going, Scott? Good. Thanks for having me today, Joe. Yeah, I'm very excited to talk to you about DHL. So before we go any further, Scott, please introduce yourself and your company. So hi, I'm Scott Zeredin. I'm the CEO for DHL Supply Chain North America. We are the largest contract logistics company in the world, and we're also the largest in North America. About 2x, I guess, closest to our competitors, about 2x our revenue to the next contract logistics company in North America. Damn. When John said you guys were the biggest, I was like, is that right? Because it's interesting when you go say who's the largest carrier, who's the largest 3PL, and then you get the largest warehousing companies. And I was like, when you type in largest 3PL, it's for sure DHL supply chain, <laughs> DHL. So where, where are you guys located here in North America? So our corporate office is Westerville, Ohio, but I'm actually based in right outside of DFW airport, close to an airport since I'm on the road most of the time. I'm usually in the corporate office about one week a month. And then the rest of my time, I'm traveling to customers or our operating sites, or because we are European owned, a lot of my board meetings are in Europe or Asia. So I do about 10 trips a year to where I'm usually in our corporate office for Deutsche Post DHL, which is Bonn, Germany. Well, I imagine that slowed down a tad during COVID. That must have been weird for you. <laughs> yes, I have not traveled to Europe in 18 months, but I'm supposed to be there for two straight weeks, the last two weeks in September of this year. Yeah, so all of a sudden, friends and family are like, who's this guy who's always hanging around? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, Scott, before we get into the topic today, I want to talk a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights and all that. What kind of kid were you? So I'm from San Antonio, Texas. So that's why I moved back to Texas eventually. Um, I went to college in West Texas at Texas Tech University. Go Red Raiders. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> John and I were just talking about football season. I'm a I'm a Wolverine. He's a Buckeye. So uh, of course we have to talk football. <laughs> yeah, we're not very good at football either. We're good at baseball and basketball. Right. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I graduated and I moved to the East Coast. I actually went with uh, in the food service industry. I started out of college with a craft food service. And worked the whole East Coast and eventually moved back to uh, Dallas or moved to Texas, moved, transferred back to Dallas, Texas. And I was with food service industry for 14 years in the supply chain side. So, so you kind of understand when you hear a shipper talk, you've been there, you sat in that seat. Yes, 100%. <laughs> Which is some good experience to have. I, I always say I'm from automotive. So I've said for a long time, I didn't particularly pay close attention to logistics and supply chain. It was like, yeah, we're building cars. Somebody moves the stuff and then you move to the other side and you go, holy moly, it's not easy moving stuff. Exactly. So when did you join DHL? So in 2005, so they recruited me. I was not looking to leave. I thought I had a very good job, but also I understood that on the food service side, I was a necessary evil. So to your point, supply chain was just to get the product to the customers. And it was more of a sales branding organization. I knew i being head of logistics was as high as I was going to get because the CEO is not going to come out of the supply chain side. They're right. going to come out of branding, marketing, or sales. So I was intrigued by the largest supply chain company in the world in North America. And 
this is all we do with supply chain. So I'm like, I'd rather work for something that's where my right. talents are. So they recruited me in 2005. I've been here, it'll be 20 years this April coming up. So it's been a good run and I will be staying here until I retire. It's like a great company. <laughs> Very nice. So, you know, it's interesting. You said you can only move up to a certain point in, in a company that is in a logistics company. I wonder if that's going to change more now that supply chain is so important. You look around and go, you know what? After this last 18 months, maybe it makes sense that we look and say, maybe we should have a supply chain guy at the top. There's no doubt the pandemic showed a lot of companies that we are essential and that they realize that the supply chain is crucial. And if you don't have the nodes in the right place, you don't have the inventory positioned correctly, that it does impact your business. So I think the pandemic just accelerated the use of 3PLs and contract logistics and realizing that we are experts and this is all we focus on. Right, right. So let's get into the topic today. So first off, before we get any further, explain all the DHL divisions. I think when most people hear DHL, they think, oh yeah, they used to do a lot of small parcel. Now you see them small parcel, but I think they're intra, they're not intra the United States, but you get a lot of DHL stuff sent here, right? Correct. So, so that's how most of us think of the company, I think. <laughs> But it's much more than that. So tell us about the divisions. Yeah. So there's four divisions. So it's our division, DHL Supply Chain, which to give you kind of the scale of us, I said we're the the largest in North America. We have 39,000 associates, 491 operating sites, and about 144 million square feet. So that's the scale of DHL Supply Chain. And when I say that, there's also coming up on peak season for e-com, we'll add about 11,000 seasonal associates this year just for peak season between uh, late September through, you know, a week before the holidays or a week before Christmas. So that's just the DHL supply chain. Okay. And then what's the other divisions? So the other divisions are DHL Express, which is the packaging business. To your point, it'd be like a UPS or a FedEx, and they only do international. So they don't do any domestic. So anytime you see that yellow truck driving around, those are all international packages, either coming from somewhere outside the United States or, or leaving and going back across the pond or to Asia. And then there is a DHL Global Freight, which is ocean and air freight. We are the largest air freight company in the world, and we're number two in ocean freight. So, so you guys, do you guys have your own assets? We don't have our own assets, but we're the largest at using the steam okay, got uh, it. containers. When you look at American Airlines, United, all those, we are when you're when you're sitting on an airplane getting ready to go somewhere, right. all that product we're putting on there, they're getting it from us, and we are using right. the the belly of the airplanes. Yeah. So it might not be your assets, but when you call, you call on the bat phone. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. answer. <laughs> yeah. And actually Express does have their own airplanes. And so the Global Freight Group does use a lot of the capacity, especially during this last pandemic, to get product to and from. So we do have our own assets when it comes to the Express division. And then the final division, not to be confusing, is called e-commerce. Even though I do e-commerce and fulfillment, their e-commerce is more specialized where they focus on picking up packages and sorting them by zip code and taking them to the USPS to actually make it more consolidated, more efficient to get packages to end users for more mid-sized companies, I would say. So today, what I was talking to you about when we were offline, I said, I wanted to get a view from the top of the mountain. You guys see, see probably further than anyone else, given you're at the top of the top of the heap. So what are some trends you see? What what are you looking at? What's what's the DHL DHL supply chain looking at today? 
Well, it's, first of all, I would say the pandemic accelerated a lot of the trend. So, you know, right now, if you think about years ago, everyone was, you know, consolidating their network and putting in less nodes. Now it's going the other way around. I think people realize we need to get product closer to the end user. And so there's additional redundancy being handled or being added into people's networks. I would say also automation is really accelerating. The ROI is getting better in that area to where it's very affordable, and especially with the labor shortage. So e-commerce is the first big bucket. And, and I think I've heard people say that we saw 10 years worth of growth in what, the first quarter of the pandemic? is that Does that sound about right to you? Yeah, it definitely. And we're still seeing this year, depending on the product, um, about a 10 to 25% growth in e-commerce is still happening post-pandemic. Uh, we're still in the pandemic, I guess, but post you know, the, the highlight of the pandemic or the highs of the pandemic, we're still seeing 10 to 25% growth in a lot of our operations. So the e-commerce you're seeing, is it e-commerce from like digital natives or is this e-commerce growth from like the the Walmarts and the, uh, you know, the, the retailers who are traditional brick and mortar? It's mostly the retailers is what we're, we're seeing. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. We all hear so much about Amazon. Amazon's obviously been wildly successful, but they aren't the largest retailer and they aren't going to be anytime soon. And, you know, I'm, my granny, I'm in my fifties, but I still buy stuff in the on e-commerce. But there's certain things when I'm going to buy a pair of shoes, I still want to go try them on. <laughs> and it's funny because uh, I have ordered shoes, gotten them, sent them back, got another pair, sent them back, and it, it to me, I just sometimes wonder like, how is this really all going to work? I just bought a bed, and the people who sold me the bed said we sell sixty percent of our mattresses online. Uh, it doesn't make any sense to me because I was like, I want I laid down on like 30 beds at that place. So yeah. it's an interesting, interesting dynamic. Again, maybe I'm turning into a dinosaur here, Scott. <laughs> so what's your views on what's going to happen with e-commerce during this upcoming Christmas season? We're almost in September. What's going to happen with e-commerce? Well, as I said, I mean, it, the growth is still happening. I mean, just to give you some comparison, last year peak season, I added 7,500 seasonal associates. I'm adding 11,000 or 11 to 12,000, I should say. It's going to be somewhere between there. Um, so that just shows you the growth right there. And, and it's also, you know, not forget that the collaborative robotics I'm putting in. So I had about 300 collaborative robots last year in my e-commerce facilities to help with volume, I will have a thousand this year. So I went from 300 collaborative robots to 1000 in our operations. What is a collaborative robot? So basically you work in a section and a robot comes to you in your section, and then you scan and place the, the product within a, within a bucket or within a little box and then it moves around and it goes to a packing station. So basically associates versus them traveling around, you know, a warehouse and doing many, many steps, very inefficient steps. We have robots coming around to your, st- your station where maybe you are handling, let's say apparel or shoes, where you're handling apparel or shoes in a, in a section where you maybe you only move about 10 yards side to side for high volume SKUs. And they, they come to you, you scan, place in the bucket, place in the box, and then it goes to the packout station. Is that to make you more effective or does that make you more efficient or is it a combination of both? I mean, what's the motivation behind the robots? All the above. We're seeing 30 to 50% productivity improvements depending on the SKUs and you know the type of product that you're picking, but it's 30 to 50% productivity improvement. You know what I like about it too, Scott, is this comes up on my podcast a lot is 
if you or I right now are worth kind of thrown into the bottom of the uh, bottom entry level jobs, and maybe you don't have a degree yet, would you rather deliver food, gig economy, or would you rather go work in a traditional fulfillment center? And if you ask me, walking around, walking 10 miles a day, carrying boxes, lifting, you might do it for uh, when you're young, but that's not a job for somebody who's older. And I'm from automotive, and I can tell you, you can't give people jobs where they have to lift stuff every day. It doesn't work. They're going to end up with shoulder problems, back problems, leg problems. So I'm, I love that you're getting the automation. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think the other piece is, is onboarding people. So everyone's used to using their iPads, using their cell phones now. Everything is very digital, and it looks like your cell phone when you're picking an order now. I mean, basically, the collaborative robot has an iPad screen on it, and you're punching the iPad screen. So um, it's easier. It's easier to learn. And it's easier to get people up to speed um, in their job. Yeah, and that also, you know, I, this is another thing that comes up on my podcast sometimes is this idea of are the gig economy workers or is the, the temporary people work in fulfillment centers, are they part of the supply chain? And I think the way you make them feel far, part of the supply chain is you get them working with automation, working with technology. Then they go, you know what? This is a leg up. Now I'm going somewhere. I have an opportunity here as opposed <laughs> to saying, yeah, I'm just a strong back. <laughs> you know, no one right. wants that. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely easier to onboard people and get them comfortable with what they got to do in their work in their work area. It's going to be a lot easier to recruit people too when you say you're going to you're you're not going to kill yourself because you know unless you're a twenty something person that job gets wearying really quick. I've I've been in enough fulfillment warehouses where I've seen some of those challenges. So so you guys buy these and you call them collaborative robots because it's the way that you're working with them. Right. You're working. People are working with the robots versus a robot doing something on their own. It's collaborative. So you're working side by side with robots working in the same workstation with you. Few, fewer errors on this, because I know sometimes pack errors is uh, one of the challenges of fulfillment. You know, it's actually because of the amount of scans and, you know, you're scanning there. You're also scanning in the packout station. The errors are very, very minimal. Excellent. Excellent. So. Now, you mentioned another thing you see in this, really, I'm assuming is related to e-commerce. You see the inventory moving closer to population centers. Are we seeing those, are those also getting to smaller fulfillment centers? Yeah, 100%. I mean, we're seeing a lot more nodes being added in a lot more smaller fulfillment centers and also hitting what their top um, their top moving items are. So maybe not every SKU is in some of the small fulfillment centers. They're hitting the high margin, high volume ones. And you know, if you think about what happened during the pandemic and you're still seeing because of the growth, the labor shortage, you know, a lot of our customers were focusing on, you know, the high margin products that uh, in the fast movers versus pushing everything through the fulfillment centers. So, so I'm just curious about your view on this. I've heard somebody said my podcast said not so long ago, and they have a number of warehouses. They said, we see, you know, we see Walmart, Target doing some fulfillment out of their locations. And somebody said that that's not going to work very well. It's hard to do fulfillment out of a retail location. And then they said, you might just have your really high movers in your much smaller retail footprint and anything that's not a fast moving item goes to the fulfillment side and that'd be a separate location. You see that happening? Well, we're, we're seeing a lot of omni-channel. So basically you're doing B2B and B2C out of the same bit uh, of the same building. So a lot of our large boxes, we're going to do e-com and we will handle most of the SKUs because those SKUs are also going to other channels. 
So a lot of our DCs these days do more than just pure fulfillment. They, they would be also doing a lot more B2B too. Yeah, it's, it's, this is not an easy equation. This is, this is why they made you take algebra when you were a kid, because <laughs> this is not an easy equation to figure out. And it's, it's interesting because people tend to simplify. And they just say something along the lines of, well, no, Walmart will just do fulfillment out of their location. Well, their location wasn't set up to be a fulfillment center. So if they're going to do that, they're going to have to figure it out. It's going to have to be slightly different footprint. And that's not going to happen overnight. So I think there's going to be a series of trips. And I feel the same way about um, groceries. I have groceries delivered to my house. The grocery store by my house was not set up for fulfillment. And I could see at some point a whole bunch of grocery stores saying, yeah, we have in the Detroit metro area where I live, fulfillment centers that do the home deliveries. Well, it also helps with automation. So I, I don't disagree. We do have to refit a lot of our deals, but automation is really you know, accelerating a lot of these things. It's and like, like I mentioned earlier, the ROI is there. So, you know, we just mentioned collaborative robots. I think the biggest thing that's going to happen in the supply chain industry is going to be autonomous pallet movers. So that'll be probably the Wait, biggest Wait, what thing. is that? <laughs> so basically forklifts or pallet jacks that move without people on them, that they're actually just autonomous. Uh, and we are, those are my operations now. I wouldn't say I'm at scale yet. We are we are partnering with several different suppliers. I don't have a one supplier approach. I mean, what I look at, when I talk about DHL, I say DHL is the best integrator of the best solutions out there. So I don't just pick one supplier. I want to pick everyone and help them get their product to be the best and the best solution for my customers. So a lot of the engineers who build these things don't have them in a practical or they don't understand the processes we need so we can make their product better when we collaborate with them. So right now we have autonomous forklifts in several of my operations. I would say they are close to break even now, but as you know, the technology gets cheaper. These are going to be uh, saving. And when I say to break even, I don't have all of the costs of onboarding a new associate and the turnover cost of an associate. Right. These things the constant run. training, and, right? Yeah. And, and honestly, we most people, I feel like this, uh, this is going to be more and more of a challenge for this country is we we have a certain level of wealth. So you you just have a lot of people whose parents will say, you know what, why don't you take some computer classes? I don't want you, you know, having to take some drudge job like I had when I was a kid. And, you know, it's interesting. One of the things that I, I feel is happening when, when it comes to fulfillment, I still talk to warehousing companies that don't have a WMS. And they say, well, when we get a few more customers or something along those lines. And I feel like we're getting to a place where there's haves and there's have nots. And I don't think they're going to be able to compete. I think you either going to be able to step up and make the investments required because having the space was good enough 25 years ago. You say, look, I got this huge space and it's in a metro area. Sign me up. Well, hundred percent. I mean, it's, and it's beyond just the WMS. It's also engineered labor standards. I mean, I would never do an operation without a WMS or without engineer labor standards and all the tools that bolt onto what you do. I mean, it just makes it easier to forecast, predict. You need data to figure out how to optimize your operation and how to optimize it for your for your customer who's shipping it to their customer. So we talked a little bit about e-commerce. We talked a little bit about automation. So I know labor is something that you touched on, and I know that is a 
is a sore spot for a lot of people in the industry. Tell me what you guys are up to when it comes to uh, getting good talent into the DHL supply chain. Well, I would say the stimulus checks now that they're pretty much run out it is helping because it was really difficult during the stimulus checks because people were, you know, getting the same amount of money to sit at home on their couch. So it was very, very difficult. But I would say we have a great culture. You know, we have recruiting centers. So we went to recruiting in the marketplaces. So centralized recruiting. So if you think about the distribution world or in the transportation world, everyone's in the same areas, right? You're going to get close to population. So you're going to have DCs in certain markets. Right. Well, we, we put up full-time recruiting centers where people just focused on recruiting and training and onboarding our associates. So we you know, teach them the culture right away. So before they even jump into an operation, they're a week of training within my training centers and learning about our culture, getting certified training, because we call it cert DHL certified training around who we are, why we are what we are, and how and why you want to work for us. And the safety and the MHE qualifications, we do all that stuff centralized, and it's really, really helped us out. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, we, we had a lot of turnover during the pandemic also, and during the time when stimulus checks were coming, but that's, that's starting to fall off now. But, you know, also... As I mentioned, we're, we're making our workplaces a better place to work because of collaborative robots, because of autonomous vehicles. People want to be in an environment that's that's more, you know, technology. They want to see technology because the next generation versus you and I lived on technology. I mean, we didn't have right. cell phones back when, you know, when we were working our jobs, you know, until, you know, 20 years ago. Right. If I had a son or daughter who was, you know, wanting to work in one of those fulfillment centers and they said, um, I'm using this collaborative robot, I'm using, I'm learned this and I just got trained the way DHL manages supply chain. That sounds a lot better than a little warehouse and uh, I'm carrying boxes around. And by the way, I did a podcast oh, early, late last year with a guy and he owns a technology company, that does a warehousing stuff. And he went as the CEO and worked at six fulfillment centers around the country. I think two in California, one in T Texas, Chicago, Philadelphia. And he's, these were smaller places. And he said, it's kind of a desperate situation in some of those. He goes, first off, technology is not applied very well. And he says, and everybody there is kind of half out the door. They're saying, well, I can do Lyft, I can do Uber. And he said, you know, because not all of them are running it right. And I keep thinking if I had the choice, Lyft or work at some low tech place and I got to wander around with a box in my arms all day, sign me up. I'll be driving around and lift. <laughs> no, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think you have to have high tech solutions in your operations. And you also have to have training programs to show people that they can accelerate their careers and keep developing them. So we spent a lot of money on investing in our people. I mean, just to give you, I mentioned we have certified training programs, just, you know, we have leadership programs around that. We have 15,000 frontline supervisors across the world right now that will all go through an 18 month supervisor academy, a curriculum about becoming a better leader and, and to work, move their careers up. So, you know, I think it is not a one prong I, approach. I think you've got to try several different things and do several different things for people. You know, we hire just for North America. I, I hire 500 college interns and entry level supervisors every year. So 500 just to <laughs> feed my pipeline. Well, you know, that's, a, it's also, you know, looks pretty good to say I, I worked at DHL and I got these certifications that looks pretty good on the resume <laughs> and yes. or, or internship. And obviously you want them to stay there, but sometimes you, sometimes it's nice to be known by your alums. I imagine your alums are in half the, half the industry, if not all of it. So 
it's it's nice to hear you're doing some with the people because again, I think that we've heard, and I won't mention names, but we've heard on the national news some fulfillment centers aren't great jobs to work at. And and I think there's a fine line between efficiency and humanity. You know, you want to be able to say, yes, this is a good job and we're getting really good output and throughput, but at the same time, I'm not treating that person as if they're the robot. <laughs> Right. Well, I would also say, you know, we we take it serious, so serious that we do employee surveys every year and we do take that feedback and work on improving what's happening in our site. So, you know, we always say our three bottom lines are to be provider of choice. We want to be the employer of choice and the investment of choice. So we want to be there for our customers, our investors, the Republican traded and our associates. If we can't right. do those things, then we will never be we won't stay the biggest. I mean, I've been CEO for eight years. And I'm not, I've lost no ground and I've not lost no ground because of the culture. That, that's why you get to be the CEO. <laughs> <laughs> but seriously, you, you lose ground when you don't have talent and you don't have an organization that hangs on to people and develops people. And I would say that, you know, DHL has great global programs to make sure we are focusing on our people because the frontline people are the ones that get it done. You can replace me easier today than you can our frontline associates. Right, right. Well, we've all experienced, I, I talk to people on my podcast every week, and mostly offline, I hear, oh my God, we are so shorthanded right now. And, you know, my daughter building a house, and she's hoping to move in in October. And now they're saying, well, yeah, but the windows, you know, the windows are, you know, <laughs> wherever they're made, somewhere overseas, no doubt, are having supply chain issues. And I was like, yeah, could be November. Could be December. You get ready for some plastic over those uh, window holes, right? right? This is, and and that's a lot of times because of shortage of people and assets, right? Right. So I want to talk about two other things. <laughs> I want to make sure I talk to you about what's going on with the uh, what's coming up in December with Christmas time. But but first, I want to hear. Uh, I know you wanted to talk a little bit about sustainability. I know that's important to DHL. Yeah, I mean, we're investing 7 billion euros between now and 2030, just on our programs, which is Wait, a huge number. 7 billion euros, what is that million uh, in dollars? Uh, that'd be 8 million, oh, say 1.2 right now. So what is that? Whatever 1.2 times that, but, it, but eight, over 8 billion US dollars. Oh my God, that's yeah, more so like about 8 billion, 8 billion US dollars. You know, we want net zero emission by 2050. So what, what, are, what are those investments in? Is it an assets or? Across the board, yes. So we want carbon neutral buildings. We want 60% of our last mile vehicles to be electrified. So it's, you know, we just invested in electric airplanes on the express side of that for the more regional deliveries of packages. So, you know, whether it's last mile, whether it is we're looking to do 30% of our airline fuel to be blended to where, you know, there is blended fuel now you can get it's a little more expensive. You know, a lot of, I, I didn't mention earlier, I mean, you think of us as warehousing, we're also transportation management also and dedicated right. fleet. So I've got, you know, my region is 5 billion in freight under management in the North American market. So I'm, and we have about 2,500 dedicated DHL trucks and drivers because you get better service, of course, with a dedicated fleet versus going to the open market. So a lot of my fleet will end up being electric and or probably compressed natural gas for so, several of those fleets. So your parent company is German. And is that is that some of their a push from Europe? I know because Europe's kind of ahead of us on the sustainability game. Or is that kind of what you're hearing from your customers saying, the, the big brands you work with saying, we want more sustainable 
logistics solutions? It's both. But I would also say, you know, being the market leader globally, we believe we have a responsibility to, to lead in this area, right? So we're not waiting for all of our customers to get on board on that. We're going to give them more sustainable solutions. And to your point, the larger customers want that. They're all evolving that when they need to. I mean, we have to we have to leave the place better than we found it, right? For my kids, my grandkids, you've got to improve it. So, um, and I would agree with you, Europe is ahead of the United States as far as sustainability, but we'll catch up. And it's all about the technology and the solution. So, you know, getting last mile vehicles, electric is, you know, it's, it's, it's close to being there to where you could handle that, right? Yeah, I heard 31% of the emissions related to e-commerce is on that last mile. Yeah. And so I know when we were talking offline, we talked about if we could get full trucks close to that last mile and shorten the last mile, full trucks is where there's less emissions. Yes. And we got to have full trucks, no empty miles and short moves from the fulfillment center to the final destination. And so the electric vehicles obviously take a chunk out of that environmental impact. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, and not to mention what you just said there too, is you're getting the product closer to the end user too. So it's a win-win for the consumer and it's a win-win for our environment. I mean, it's the right thing to do. We, we being the largest, we have a responsibility to do this. And I'm really excited to work for a company that is going to have zero emissions by 2050. So right. we're on we're on the path and we're making the investments and uh, we'll get it done. Yeah, the one thing that comes up on my podcast all the time is I always say, if you're not already doing something with sustainability, you guys are way ahead of the game. If you're not already doing something, it's just a matter of time before one of your customers says, what are you doing? And it's too late at that point to, to say, oh, well, we'll add a few slides to the PowerPoint deck. No, there's no way to, to sugarcoat this. You're either in or you're not. And I say, start just with one KPI. You know, I know we have over at Freightways now, they said, you know, they're finding a way to m measure carbon on the on the trucks. And I was thinking, yeah, why not? Just one thing, even if it's not, even if it's a KPI that you say, it's not easy to calculate, just start. Yeah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> so one last thing I wanted to get to you before you run off and go to another meeting, this whole jam up coming from, and when I said jam up on the West Coast earlier, you said it's not just the West Coast, Joe. So what are we going to do with Christmas? I mean, and again, I think probably if somebody says I have a real problem, DHL is probably not a bad solution given you guys, you call on the bat phone when you call the carriers, if you're not doing it yourself. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I don't think there's a simple answer. I mean, everything I'm seeing is the capacity issues will go all the way to Chinese New Year in February. So the capacity issues right now, they're predicting are at least through February. I would say all modes of transportation are in play. You know, a lot of the people who have higher margin products are using air freight versus ocean freight. I would say fortunate our customers who work with DHL because we are the largest on ocean and air freight we do get a lot of the space. And so our customers are getting the benefit of that. But even saying that, just with COVID breakouts in Asia, you know, we're having to find alternative ports and things just there or, or warehouses to take things to because they keep shutting down several different, you know, they're shutting down warehouses, you know, daily in different parts of Asia. So, you know, it's not just a West Coast port that is congested, it's congestion throughout all the ports, but you've got to use them all. We're moving through all the ports. And then once you get it here, you got over the road, you got rail, you're doing everything you can to get the product to the right place. And, uh, you know, I mentioned kind of earlier, danced around the topic, a lot of our customers are only focusing on certain products, right? So what is the high margin, fastest moving products you're going to focus more on? You might not have as many promotions. So a lot of my apparel or the, a lot of my apparel e-commerce customers 
are not doing promotions like they would in previous years on certain right. SKUs because um, they can't predict, you know, <laughs> they, they can't get the inventory. So they're, right. they're focusing on products. They know they have the inventory and get that to the marketplace. Right. I think this is the time for shippers to really lean on uh, your 3PLs. And I think, you know, 3PLs, this is my own experience, having come from the 3PL side uh, and talking to them every day <laughs> is they want to be put in there saying, coach, put me in. This is their time to shine. It's not, the, not that they're going to have some magic bullet, but if you ever want a solution, they're the company, especially companies like DHL, <laughs> they have the alternative supply chain ready and willing. <laughs> yeah, and I think a, a prime example of that would be, you know, we, we talked about when the pandemic first started, you know, I had customers that volume was 2X, 3X, and I had other customers in the automotive industry that there was no volume. Well, based on our scale, I moved 5,600 associates from build around in other buildings where they had volume. So, you know, since right. most of our facilities were in campus locations where everyone's in the same area, with our scale, we were able to move people around to handle the volume, to handle the increase in right. volume. So, and also being able to put up, so a lot of people that had single node distribution centers, those got shut down. We were able to move their products to some of our other buildings and get their right. product to the end user. So I think you, to your point, you need flexibility, you need experts, and that's what we do. I mean, really what came out of this pandemic, people knew they needed supply chain, but now they realize we are essential and we are the experts, the companies that do contract logistics, and you need to be, the outsourcing of it is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger because they need to be focusing on their brand, their sales organizations, right. and some manufacturing. Right. And I think, you know, we're going to see when we're done with this pandemic, I think we're going to see people really focus on how do we get this supply chain to be shorter? That's going to be better environmentally. We're going to take stuff back from Asia. I think we're going to see it here in North America. And I think a lot of that stuff is automated now in, in Asia anyway. So automation doesn't care if it lives in the U.S. or China. Right. <laughs> so, Scott, before you go, tell us a little bit more about who you guys serve and how do we reach out and talk to you or your, I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile and I'll put a link to your website and anything else that John gives me in okay. terms of marketing assets. But who's your main customers? Who do you guys, what's your sweet spot? Who do you serve? So we're in several, we're in all the sectors. So when I say sectors, I'm talking automotive, engineering, manufacturing, chemical, energy, life science and healthcare, technology, consumer, and retail. Now, I can't really give you all of our customer names, but right, I can tell you that- We would the, recognize them. <laughs> yeah, the largest customers in any of those areas, we're going to be doing their distribution for them. So, you know, we are we're providing solutions that are end-to-end. -end, and we're doing it in all of those sectors across warehousing, transportation, e-commerce, packaging. You know, we didn't even talk about today packaging and how important that is around an e-commerce facility right. or anywhere else. I mean, you know, we have several packaging facilities that just focus on getting product and, and consolidating product where we're not using more corrugate than we should. Um, and not wasting product that way. So we're in all sectors and our products are mostly warehousing, transportation, packaging, e-com will be the biggest ones for us. Right. I love when you said end-to-end -end because for a long time, and I'm sure you've heard it too, one of my pet peeves is when somebody says, oh, we have visibility. And what they mean is visibility from <laughs> my facility to the factory that it's being delivered to or to the retail and you go that's two days my yeah. supply chain is 18 weeks long don't <laughs> i'm not celebrating that two days of visibility i want end-to-end -end visibility i want an end-to-end -end solution provider yeah well it's probably 30 days right now coming from asia <laughs> coming across the ocean yeah sitting yeah, the yeah. yeah it's, but, it's literally the slow boat from china now <laughs> 
Yes. yes. <laughs> no, I, I would also say for people that want to reach out and know more about us, I would say go on DHL.com front slash all boundary. I mean, all business, um, no boundaries. So that is really our website. We'd like to really look at. So once again, that's DHL.com. I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah. It tells you more about us, but we will be our customers are the largest ones you would see in the world. And the, the nice thing about our, our business is we're able to do the same thing here that we do in Europe and Asia and Latin America. So, you know, um, you can scale our, with anybody. <laughs> a lot of our customers are global and we do their business in all regions of, uh, um, of the world. Well, yeah, that's been some, a theme that I've, I've seen in the business lately is for a long time. I'm, I'm an automotive guy. I'm in Michigan. You could have a regional trucking company manage your inbound logistics a generation ago. Now my supply chain of automotive logistics is across the whole world. The supply chains are across the world. So the idea that I could have a, a regional trucking company help me, that is yesterday's news. Now I need truly a global partner. And you know, again, a company like DHL, because because they can scale. If I say right. I need a warehouse in China, they're like, yeah, we got that. Where where? <laughs> right? and, we, and we standardize. So whatever right. WMS platform I use here, we use globally. So we standardize our we standardize our training. We standardize our systems. We standardize our our processes. We're going to use the tools that we use on how we manage um, our facilities. They are the same. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. Excellent, excellent. Scott, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. It is nice to get a view from the top of the mountain, the DHL at the very top of the mountain. So thank you so much. What I'll do is I'll put all those stuff, that stuff in the show notes. And uh, I really do appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for giving DHL the time. So we appreciate it. <laughs> thank you so much. And, and thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.